Hello, and welcome to the Amber Live interviews. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live. We want to remind you to subscribe to us both here and at youtube.com slash amberlive. You don't want to miss a moment of Amber LeMay, the Larry King of drag queens. There's so much more to the show than just the interviews that Amber does each week. We have hundreds of interviews, comedy sketches, songs, and more on YouTube that you can watch anytime. But... In the meantime, you can listen to the amazing interviews right here. Now enjoy this episode of Amber Live Interviews. One of the interviews I've been totally looking forward to for many, many weeks is with Bill Rudman. Now, if you listen to Sirius XM, the on-Broadway channel, like I do, you're familiar with Bill's work with his On the Aisle program. So let's talk to him about that. Bill, come on in. Hey, Amber, and I got to say, I've been looking forward to this for weeks myself. Oh, well, thank you so much. That is Delighted so cool. So here. I'm familiar with your work, but uh, tell us about uh, what, what you do for a living. Well, I, I'm lucky enough to get to do exactly what I love, which is to spread the word about the miraculous art form that we call the American musical and I've been um, I've been in love with the American musical since I was in kindergarten. Uh, that goes back a long time. <laughs> and I bet I bet what did it for me, it could have happened for you as well, Amber. It was Mary Martin doing Peter Pan on TV. Oh yes, it was black and white, but we didn't care, did black we? We saw the magic. <laughs> we saw right. the magic. That's so, right. how are you able to do this working with? Uh, who do you work for or work with? And tell us about that. Well, I, um, I've, I've done several things with my career. I won't, I won't bore you with the details. But to get right to the core, um, twenty-four years ago, I founded a nonprofit organization. It's called the Musical Theater Project. Um, surprisingly enough, it's located in Cleveland. <laughs> you wouldn't expect to find a nonprofit uh, dealing with Broadway in Cleveland, but um, but you wouldn't expect to find the Rock Hall here either, necessarily. So, um, so I started it 24 years ago, and I've built it brick by brick by brick, and I even make a living doing it. So what do you think about that? We, we have a video that uh, tells us a little bit more about that. So let, let's watch that. Okay, great. I think we all discover musicals when we're kids. I mean, I was just five years old when my parents told me I could stay up late one night and watch Peter Pan on TV. I got so keyed up, I could not sleep at all that night. And it's no wonder because musicals are filled with joy. It makes me feel good. <laughs> it's so deeply emotional. It opens a window into the human condition. And it can mean so many things to different people. I think what's so special about it is the synergy of it. It combines all the art forms in one glorious art form. America is about Synthesis. And musical theater is about synthesis. You've got singing, you've got dancing, you have dialogue, you have scenic design and costume design. The story that it tells. All of that stuff coming together, that is really, really powerful. 
And I think it helps to teach us about each other, about our American culture. And if musical theater were to disappear altogether, we would lose that whole collective experience of our American past. The Musical Theater Project is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to sharing and celebrating the art form of musical theater, which is uniquely our own. It's American. We invented it. And so we have more than 100 years of repertoire that we can share and explore and identify with in new ways. So we have these key words to describe as produce, preserve, and inspire. And that really does cover the waterfront. And it's entertainment. At the same time, it's education and appreciation. That really delves into the history of musical theater and fleshes out different shows and composers. And that makes it extra special. I learn more than I've ever known about that show before. It's about helping people make their own personal connections with this great American art form. They're always looking for innovative ways to share with the community. So we have to have a lot of things in our bag of tricks. We have to be able to communicate in many different ways on many different levels to give people whatever tools they want to get the best experience out of this that they can possibly have. All I ever wanted was to share musical theater with audiences. So I've been so lucky because in this organization we get to do that in radio shows, concerts, cabarets, a school program, recordings. All of that is a gift that we want to give you. Wow. Where is that beautiful auditorium that, that most of that took place? Um, that was in, um, where was it? That was in um, Chagrin Falls, Ohio. <laughs> I haven't seen that for a long time, Amber. Thanks for showing it. It brought a couple tears to my eyes. Oh, I'm sure. It's, uh, it really adds up a lot of stuff. So do you have a physical building for the theater project? No, we all, like just about everybody these days, we work remotely. Um, but that's okay with me. Much of what I do is writing. Um, and you know that from the from On the Isle on Sirius. So I'm perfectly happy to be in my office and um, have it quiet. <laughs> well, some of the different projects that the NTP does. Well, um, the radio show actually... If you've been listening to it on Sirius, you've probably been listening for about 14 years, but it actually goes back. I started it 38 years ago in Cleveland, and then it became nationally syndicated and eventually wound up on Sirius, which is a real kick for me. We do concerts and cabarets. Um, I call them docu-concerts because we're not just doing live performances of songs from a musical or musicals. I do commentary um, on, you know, what what makes something special in a musical? Why is um, Falling in Love with Love a great song? Um, and so we do those and we do have the school program and it's funny that we're talking right now because just before I got on, I was watching the 1957 movie version of The Pajama Game because another one of our programs is called Let's Go to the Movies at Home. And if anybody um, gets onto our website and, and um, signs up, you'll get, um, you'll get an intro uh, on video from me about whatever the movie musical is. You'll get a week to see the movie musical. And then we do an online discussion that usually lasts 
90 minutes with people from all over the country who just have to talk about whatever the musical is. And we even have our own little record label. It's called Harbinger Records. We specialize in musical theater and we've won a Grammy and we've been nominated for another Grammy and I've talked too much. So that's the answer to your question. Oh, no, no. You, I, I love hearing your voice. Oh, what does your record label do? What, what type of... Well, it's all musical theater related and... Um, Right now, I'm working on two that will be, I hope, attractive to collectors. If you know the um, work of Nancy Ford and Gretchen Cryer, who wrote I'm Getting My Act Together and Taking It on the oh, Road okay. in the 70s, they were the first writing team for the musical theater, female writing team, to write um, a mainstream musical about, um, about uh, uh, that, that was anti-war. They were the first to write about the dangers of technology. They were the first to write a, a mainstream feminist musical. They were always way ahead of their time. They're both still with us. They're very close friends of mine, and that's going to be a three CD set. So that's at the top of my list right now. <laughs> you talked about how Mary Martin and Peter Pan got you know, made the spark with you. Well, what um, what happened to your life between being that four-year-old child and you starting MTP? Well, let me, I want to, I'd like to answer, I'm going to make, a, I'm going to pretend you asked me a different question, which is okay. what was it about Peter Pan that got me? And okay. I'm only going to answer it if you answer it too, because I think okay. there are millions of baby boomers who were affected by it. And I can tell you why I was, and I want to know why you were. For me, I got so keyed up by it because it was the idea that, the story was being told with characters who were expressing their emotions, their deepest emotions. And I had never seen anything like that before or heard it anything like that before. And that just got to me. It got to my heart. And I still remember in these were the days of LPs, of course, my parents who were great the very next day, they called a department store in Cleveland called Halley Brothers. And do you remember when they used to call people mailmen? We had a mailman in our neighborhood. And I remember the day when the mailman came to the house with a package and I opened it up and it was the Peter Pan LP. And I still have that edition of the oh. LP. It's unplayable now, but I still have it because it, it's one of the things that I treasure most in my life. So Amber, how about you? What got you? It, it was the magic. It was watching people my age singing and you know performing, and yeah. I thought, oh, I want to do that. You know, I, I that that looks like so much fun, and just you know, it made it grabbed me through the screen to tell the story, and I said, that's something I'd like to do someday is have have the ability to do that, and. Uh, it it looked like fun. <laughs> well, and I and your producer tells me that you're a performer in your own yes. right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, my drag character Bob um, played Tenardier in a production of Les Mis. Um, I've been Rooster and Annie two times. Oh, great role! <laughs> oh, oh, yes, very, very good. Uh, education. What education do you have, Bill? Um, well, I went to. Um, a tiny little um, college called Hiram that's in this area, but it was, uh, this was in 1969, 70, 
And um, Hiram was very close to Kent State geographically. I was a freshman in college the year of the Kent State shootings, which made me immediately very political. Um, and it was quite a time to be growing up, as we know, in the late 60s, early 70s. I'm so worried about where we are now. I know this isn't a political discussion, but I'm, right. I'm, so, I'm so frightened of, of our potential loss of what it means to be a democratic society. I can tie it up to musical theater, though, because, um, you know, um, I, I think of, me, of the American musical as primarily a Jewish-American art form. Um, certainly in terms of the songwriters who were most important during the golden age. And most of them were highly political. And there's so much musical theater writing that is very, very progressive that I love to expose people to. About the evolution of Broadway musical, uh, where would you say its roots were and uh, some of the steps along the way to what we have now? Oh, I'll give you... I'll give you a 30 second answer or we'll be okay. here all day. I think that, you know, the roots are in European operetta. Um, but the guy who really made it American was, of course, George M. Cohan at the turn of the 20th century. And from Cohan on, you know, you get into uh, the musical comedies of the 20s and 30s. And you were talking Rogers and Hart and the Gershwin brothers and Cole Porter tremendously excited. I think there are a number of golden ages, you see. And so that's another golden age. And then you get to Rodgers and Hammerstein, for sure a golden age. And the storytelling became more important. The depth of the characters became more important. And then I think Stephen Sondheim is a golden age all unto himself. And I started writing to him when I was in high school and I feel so honored because he took me seriously and he wrote back. And, you know, I don't think that I'm special because, Amber, we know that Sondheim considered himself a teacher. And he took hundreds of people interested in musicals under his wing in one way or another. I mean, I would only consider myself an acquaintance of his, but the correspondence lasted for decades. And I, I, he gave me the confidence to think that whatever my career would turn out to be, I could have a career in musical theater. He had some faith in me. And God, I was lucky. <laughs> uh, is there a book there with your correspondence? Um, is there a book? No, no, they were, you know, I mean, it was mostly short notes and so on. However, probably the peak experience in my life artistically is that I knew him well enough in 1973 to ask him if, um, if I could not only attend the original uh, production of A Little Night Music, but if I could come to the recording session. And I was in that recording session, which lasted, I think, 14 hours. And it was totally thrilling. And I took notes for 14 hours. And I got to sit in the control room 
um, Sondheim was there and, and Goddard Lieberson was producing that album. And we know he was immortal in terms of producing cast albums. And a, a friend of Sondheim's who was an actor, um, Sondheim took both of us out for drinks after the recording session. <laughs> and then he put me in a taxi and I went back to the Piccadilly Hotel on West 45th Street. Peak experience artistically. How <laughs> exciting. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, Bill, and we will right after this break. See you then. Okay. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live, reminding you that it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast by using our Venmo at RJD Pro or by visiting us at AmberLive.tv and clicking on the Support Amber Live button. And now, back to this incredible interview. All right, we're returning our conversation with Bill Rudman. And now, Bill, I'd like to talk to you about your weekly show on Sirius XM, On the Isle. You said it's been going on for several years. It's been on Sirius. I've been on for 14 years. And I first started the radio program just locally 38 years ago. So I've been doing it for a long, long time. And on there, people say, and you know this, Amber, people say, well, how do you get the ideas for these shows? Or, you know, and I just <laughs> say to them, are you kidding? I could come up with 10 ideas every day because we're talking about this repertoire of classic American songs, thousands and thousands and thousands of songs and mixing and matching them and putting them together in interesting ways. I live for that. <laughs> you, you have, every week there's a theme uh, give us some of your themes that uh, I know. Oh boy! Now am I going to draw a blank here? I think one I of know. my favorite one of my favorite themes was a show that I called "Unrequitedly Yours," where it was all songs about unrequited love. So I think I think I opened that show with Garland doing "The Man That Got Away" from "Star Is Born," um, and so all the songs linked up to that to that theme. And in addition to the themes. I've been lucky enough to interview some really extraordinary creators of musicals, including um, Sheldon Harnick. I did a three-part show with Sheldon Harnick, John Kander. Now, Sheldon four. Harnick, please please uh, inform um, my viewers on who Sheldon Oh, I'm is. sorry. Sheldon Harnick, um, She Loves Me, and Fiddler on the Roof, and Fiorello, Pulitzer Prize-winning musical. John Kander, of course, famous for cabaret and chicago um and i mean i say i'm drawing blanks but so many including a, a songwriter that is not well known by name but if i tell you that he wrote the songs for meet me in st louis that would help and his name is hugh martin i got to be very close with hugh when he was in his 90s He's passed since then, but he used to call me, he lived on the West Coast, and he would call me every Saturday afternoon after he had heard On the Isle on the radio, and he would have comments about the show and questions, and that was just so much fun. Your, your interview with Barbara Cook that you aired oh. uh, recently, that oh, thank was you fascinating. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, when uh, uh, Sondheim passed, you had, uh, I think it was three weeks, you had Inter uh, interviews about him, and that was fascinating. Yeah, that was with the um, boy. If anybody doesn't know this book, 
go out and get it. Um, it's the Sondheim Encyclopedia, and it's written by Rick Pender. It would have taken me two lifetimes to write that book. He told me he did it in four years. And everybody who loves Sondheim must have this book. And yeah, I did a four-parter with Rick on that. Uh, one of the themes I really enjoyed was composers singing their own music. That that was cool. Um, was it Haverstein who did Oklahoma? Um, yeah. Yeah, he recited lyrics from Oklahoma. Oh, he, he recited. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, Amber, but I, I often prefer a songwriter's in, interpretation of his or her own work better than just about anybody's because, you know, they're so, they go so deep inside the song to create it that when they interpret it, if it's just reading the lyric or if it's singing, and a lot of them were really terrific singers in their own idiosyncratic way. Um, it, I, I find that um, terribly exciting. I, I love those. They don't need to have a voice. It's the feeling that they had when they wrote the song That's that right. can help a singer um, uh, work work it as well. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the it's other- Sondheim, uh, for example. Um, there are two CDs of, or three, of Sondheim singing his own songs. Yes. And he was not a quote-unquote trained singer, but oh my God, they're, they're great renditions, you know? I, I love the story about uh, the opening number of um, what I think happened on the way to the forum. Uh, can, can you relate that story? Yeah, and actually that's somebody else I got to interview. George Abbott directed that show, and he had been this was in 1962, and he had been directing since the 1920s, and he was the master of farce. And he, um, he, in rehearsal, and then when it began previews, it was a flop. It wasn't working at all. And Abbott said to his colleagues, uh, Larry Galbart, Bert Shevlov, Stephen Sondheim, I don't know. They, they don't like it. I don't know why they don't like it. You better bring in George Abbott to fix it. <laughs> and what they did was bring in Jerome Robbins. And it was Jerome Robbins who had the idea for um, Sondheim creating what we know as Comedy Tonight to open the show. And it turned it around. All of a sudden, everybody loved not just the opening, but the whole show. And I got to interview Abbott when he was 99 years and 11 months old. And he had it all together. It was a terrific interview. Um, oh, I, I think it was Tommy Toon or someone said the opening number, you have to you have to get them right at the beginning. Right. And Hammerstein said that um, if the opening number works, I think this is a direct quote. Hammerstein said, if it works, you can ride for the next 45 minutes on the telephone book. And it doesn't <laughs> matter. The open, that's how important the opening is. And I interviewed Tommy Toon as well. I, I hate to be bragging about the interview shows, but in all cases, um, these major, major creators gave me so much in these conversations. And I just think that um, those are important historically to have those, you know? Definitely. Well, you know, they know that all of their material doesn't get printed or published or out there. So right. they, they want it. They, I think they want to share. I think, that is I think you're right. I, and John Kander, I had to really twist his arm because he's very shy 
And he said, oh, I just don't know. And he got there into the studio and I got him talking and I made it clear that it was going to be very low key, you know, nothing, um, nothing high powered. And he was one of the best interview subjects I've, I've ever had. How about Liza? Have you interviewed Liza? Haven't interviewed Liza. Um, I haven't. I have not interviewed Cheetah either. I mean, there. There's a short list of people I would love to, but oh, the Barbara okay. Cook thing. I'm glad you heard that. Yes. Um, actually, I I interviewed her when I was only 35, and I listen to those tapes now, and I can really hear it. I I wasn't very good back then. I'm a lot better now than I used to be in the mid 1980s. I'm 71. Now, was it during that interview? Um, you talked about the song till there was you that it wasn't flying or it, it wasn't was almost cut yeah that's happened to any number of of great songs that um had to be saved um and uh what's the what's the famous example of the of the song that was cut oh um oh, it, it was cut four times before you know, what am I thinking of, Amber? I'm not sure. Um, it was cut four times before, and it's from an MGM musical. Oh, it's Over the Rainbow. Oh, um, yes. The, the, the suits at MGM thought that it was holding up the picture and that it should be cut. And Arthur Freed and Yip Harburg had to fight for it. And it finally got put in, and the rest is history. <laughs> um. You, you also, you, it's not only Broadway musicals, but you also feature movie musicals that right. you know, never, um, why? I'm just curious. Well, you know, it's a, it's a slightly different art form, the way it works. Um, and I, I think it's just important because, um, because we get to see the musical from another vantage point. Although I mentioned earlier, I'm watching the Pajama Game film right now, which George Abbott had directed on Broadway and which he co-directed for uh, the film version with Stanley Donnan, who's one of the great um, movie musical directors. And when you watch the Pajama Game, now you get a real sense of what the Broadway show was, was like. You don't get Janice Page, but you do get Doris Day. And who's better than Doris Day? And you get John Raitt from the Broadway cast, the only movie musical he ever made. Oh my goodness. Now, okay, what, what was the story about Carousel that Frank Sinatra was supposed to uh, be in Carousel and they were getting ready to shoot do you, did I hear that story on your show? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I hope I'm going to tell it right. Um, Sinatra found out that because of the way it was being filmed, because uh, there were new technologies, that he would have to uh, film each scene twice. And that was enough. He just walked off. Yeah. <laughs> Days before production. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And so um, who did they call? So they uh, so they gave it to Gordon McRae. Yeah, he was and, in Buffalo, you know, I think. Shirley Jones was already cast, <laughs> and Gordon and Shirley had just done Oklahoma the year before for 20th Century Fox. So they got to uh, they got to do another film together. 
Now, some musicals do well in you know, being uh, put to film, some not so well. What, what are your favorite musicals that have uh, made the transition to film? And what are, what are some that said, no, nah, that didn't cut it? Oh, come on. You answer that one first, and then I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll tag along. Okay. Um, I, I think Oklahoma and Music Man very well look like stage shows or, you know, represent well. A chorus line? Not so much. Uh, a chorus line, I think, is a disaster. I, I watched it when it came, when it was first released, and I've not been able to see it ever no, since. No, no, no. All right. We've got more to talk about with Bill Redman, and we will right after this break. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this interview. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live, reminding you that we stream on YouTube every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Check out the hundreds of past interviews and all the comedy sketches, songs, and more from previous episodes. And remember to subscribe to us both here and on youtube.com slash amberlive so you don't miss a single new guest or a hysterical comedy sketch. All right, we're back with Bill Rudman from the Musical Theater Project, and we're talking Broadway. And so now, um, Bill, I'd like to talk to you about uh, COVID, you know? COVID closed down Broadway for a year and a half, two years. Um, were there any advantages to that? Any changes do you see that are going to happen because of that? I, I don't know. That's a very, very good question. And I've not made it back to Broadway since COVID hit. Um, like you and gazillions of other people, I want to see, I want to see Hugh Jackman in The Music Man. Um, but I've not made it back there. And I mean, it hurt, COVID hurt all arts organizations tremendously, including ours. We couldn't do our live concerts for two years. Um, and I, it's a good thing that I have the radio show because the radio show wasn't affected. But it was because of COVID that we started this online series of sharing movie musicals with people. So in that respect, that was a good thing that came out of COVID for us, but I sure can't think of anything else. Can you? Well, uh, my show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Burlington closed down on, I believe it was March 16th. I did my first show on March 22nd and Russell and I've been at it ever since. So, I love you. I wouldn't have been talking Don't to you right now if it wasn't for COVID. Don't you think um, radio as a medium is addictive? I mean, because you don't have to. Addictive. We hope it's addictive for the for the listener, but it sure is addictive for those of us who get to host, don't you think? Oh, oh, definitely. It just it gave me an outlet. It gave me a chance to talk to fascinating people, present company included, and uh, it's I, it, some things were very good. Um, how often do you get before COVID? How often did you go to New York to see shows? Oh, um, seven or eight times a year, I would say. Yeah. You know, I'm in Cleveland, but it's only a hop, skip and a jump to get to New York. It takes an hour to get there. Um, so it's easy enough. What uh, was the last show you saw? Oh, I am drawing a blank here. You'd have to remind me of of what was playing that season. And I'll tell you. But if you want to talk about contemporary musical theater, um, I will go on record. I mean, we all know that Hamilton is a landmark, 
Um, but I also want to want to give props to what I think is a masterpiece, and that's Fun Home. I think Fun Home is just it's it just it's out of sight. It's so the writing is so great in an entirely different way from Hamilton, obviously. Um, and Come From Away, I think, is a great Oh, Come great From piece. Away. <laughs> and, and Evan Hansen. I mean, the, these are truly, um, tr truly um, important works that move, all of those shows move me to tears, you know. Of Fun Home, written by Alison Bechtel from Vermont. Yes. yes. Yeah, Vermont, your stomping grounds. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, one genre of musicals that's become popular over the years is the jukebox music. Oh, God, do we have to talk about that? <laughs> how would one, how would you describe a jukebox musical? Well, I think, I think most of them aren't really musicals. Um, now, the Carol King um, jukebox musical. Do you like that? Yes, yes. I do too. I think that's sort of the exception in all of them because um, the songs are woven together in such a way that um, they they really add up um, as a in a theatrical whole. Uh, w h o l e. Uh, but most of the rest of the jukebox musicals, ugh, I, I have no use for them. I'm sorry, to be Broadway, I'm sorry to be No, a no, no. But, One Broadway aficionado told me, I asked them the question, they go, it's laziness. <laughs> well, yeah, but I guess we have to give them their due in that so many of them have become tremendously popular. And, you know, if it's a jukebox musical that gets um, a 16-year-old kid in to see his or her first musical and then they go on and realize there are things that really tell stories in, um, in, in, in ways that run deeper than the jukebox musicals do. I say, great, whatever it takes to get them into the theater. I mean, don't you worry about young people who've had very little um, experience in the theater? You know, it's not, it's, we're sort of, the, the baby boomers are sort of the last generation that grew up on musicals. And with arts in the school, yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, our parents bought LPs that we wore out. Um, but I worry about younger generations. And it's one reason we have a school program in my nonprofit organization is to introduce kids to musical theater and hopefully get them on the way to seeing and hearing more. Now, there's musicals that you mentioned that you were raving about, uh, Fun Home, uh, Come From Away, Evan Hansen, Hamilton. Those were all original works, you know, both the music and, and the story. Right. There are, so, there are so many now that are musicals that are developed from movies or television shows. What, what, what's your opinion on those? It all depends. I, I mean, I, I think when, I mean, for heaven's sake, My Fair Lady was based on a play called Pygmalion. Yeah, I don't think did. there's anything wrong with taking source material from another medium and turning it into a musical, as long as there's something about the source material that lends itself to being turned into a musical. 
Um, you know, Sondheim always said that um, the show that he wrote with Richard Rogers and Arthur Lawrence, Do I Hear a Waltz, it was that successful because it was what uh, Richard Rogers' daughter Mary called a Y musical. In other words, the original play, The Time of the Cuckoo by Lawrence, it, it, it didn't need to be turned into a musical. But lots of other, uh, lots of other source material is great for musical theater, you know? Um, have, so have there been a, has there been a show or shows that you've seen and you went, wow, this is gonna be the next best thing and then just didn't go anywhere? Huh. You go first and I'll think about it. <laughs> You're That's a really good question, though. Something that that you or I thought was really terrific, but it didn't actually wind up flying. What would you say? Um, I'd, I'd I'd have to think about it as well. But how about something that um, you went, "Oh God, this is a dog," and then it's, it wins five Tonys. Um, you know, th this is something kind of weird about me. I don't, I don't. I don't say that most musicals are dogs. Uh, I, you know, I would never, I could never be a theater critic because I, I would be too easy um, on, on whatever the, the show was. For me, what's, what I want to pay attention to is what did the artists who created it, what did they want to do? What was their intention? And if I can see that the intention was there and that the intention is clear and that the work was had integrity, then even if it's a flawed musical, I really tend not to look at the flaws very much. I just applaud that they got it on stage and that they had something they wanted to say and damn it all, they said it. I think that's what's important here. Is there a show that you'd like to see a revival made? Um, well, of course, any show by Stephen Sondheim. And I think he was so fortunate that in his later years, virtually all of his shows were revived. Yeah. And in some cases, not just once, but twice on Broadway. Um, and now we have this true revisionist work, um, the treatment of company, yes. um, that, that he loved the concept for it being done with a female cast, I think, um, or, 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 you know, uh, the Oklahoma that was done um, several years ago. That may have been the last thing I saw uh, before the pandemic. I was swept away by the concept. And actually, Ted Chapin, who until recently ran Rodgers and Hammerstein, he gave that revival, that revisal, that rethinking. He gave it his blessing and he loves it. He loved it as much as I did. Oh, the soundtrack to, the, not the soundtrack, the original cast album is, I, I just love the simplicity of it. Uh, just the yeah. rawness, the, the simplicity, the, uh, it's magical. Um, and, the, and the sound of it, you know, that it was given this sort of, 
country sound without, as Ted would say, without changing a note of what Richard Rogers wrote oh. melodically, without changing a word of what Hammer of the of the words that Hammerstein wrote. I think that was a triumph, and I think it's going to be done in London. I may be oh. wrong. Oh, I, I, I hope it tours. Uh, the gentleman you just mentioned, I loved his interview with that you had with him. Oh, Ted well. Chapin. I've interviewed Ted Chapin more than anybody because he is so exciting to interview. Um, he talks real fast and I tape the show, so I have to go back and edit them. And as I've always said to him, Ted, it's you're so hard to edit because you are talking 98 miles an hour. Um, but it's always worth it because he has great insights on musical theater and and talk about just being fun. He's so much fun to interview. You mentioned about changing words. Uh, there's a little controversy in Music Man about them changing the words to Shapoopy. <laughs> Can you explain this to me? Because you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be politically correct, the song that that I would think they would revise would be the sadder but wiser girl for me. I would think that might be a, considered a little politically incorrect. Why the heck would you do anything with Shapoopy? <laughs> I don't know. You know, it could. I think it, if they felt they had to pure. Um. It, you think they if they thought they had to purify it for this day and age. Maybe at the end, Harold Hill says to Mar Marcellus, um, boy, uh, I love the way men think now. I wonder if we'll get away with this forever or something like that. You know, just, <laughs> uh, or, oh, a hundred years from now, we're still going to be doing this. You know, just, <laughs> rather than change the words to the song because someone complained. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, it's a slippery slope when you talk about edits that are made for reasons of political correctness. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I understand, but there are other times I don't get it. You know, well, yeah, it took you place know, in America. You judge any musical or any piece of art um, by taking a look at the times in which it was written. And, you know, Music Man is a 1957 show that came out of 1957 America. That, that, that's part of what makes it special, is to watch it and, and think a little bit about where we were as Americans in 1957. Bill, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I, both of us could talk for a couple more hours. Oh, we could. <laughs> and I'll... I'll I'll just invite myself back. When If you ever want me back, I'm here, because I've had as much fun, if not more, than you have. All right. <laughs> All right. Very good. Thank you so much, and take care. And I can't wait to ch check in on your weekly um, movie that you uh, you do with the musicals as well. Okay. All right. All right. Thank Thanks, you very Amber. much, Bill. A real pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Give my regards to Broadway and Bill Redman. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Amber Live Interviews. Remember to subscribe to us so you don't miss a single minute of the fun. And remember, it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast by using our Venmo at RJD Pro or by visiting us at AmberLive.tv and clicking on the Support Amber Live button. Thank you.